the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. How do we help kids stay Christian in college? And then how to win people rather than arguments? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Monday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Monday afternoon. The week is upon us. Here we go. Uh, Later in the week, it's supposed to be upper 50. So are we going to just sail past winter? Did I just jinx us? I, I, I would love it if we just sailed right to spring. But hey, uh, glad that you're with us. We got lots of great guests coming in the next day or two. And uh, then we'll just spend some time together as well along the way. Uh, yesterday, well, I wonder what you did with your weekend. I'm, I continue to uh, single parent. My wife comes home tomorrow. Tomorrow's a very big day in the Fromm household. My wife and daughter, Madeline, have been in Morocco for the last week and uh, have since flown to Tunisia. And in Tunisia is where uh, my wife, they're spending the night tonight. And then my wife will bid an emotional farewell to my daughter and come home while my daughter stays in Tunisia for three and a half months studying abroad and kind of living out her dream. And so uh, I'm sure it will be very emotional. I was talking to my wife about it earlier. Uh, They've had just the best time. They're sending us pictures of monkeys on their head and, uh, you know, uh, their waterfalls, they're trying new foods. It's wild. But I am very excited for my wife to get home late tomorrow night. But this weekend, it was me and my younger two. And uh, my son was out Saturday night, so my daughter and I, we went to the movies. Not only did we go to the movies, but we went and saw the new remake of Mean Girls. Am I allowed to say this as a 46-year-old man? Because Mean Girls, it's kind of a musical. They've remade it. Uh, That early 2000s movie with Lindsay Lohan, you might remember. Uh, But they remade it. It's a musical. I went because my daughter wanted to go. And if you go in with the right expectation, it's kind of good. I kind of enjoyed it. I got to be honest. I'm I'm old enough to be able to say that. I, I not only enjoyed the fun time I had with my daughter there, uh, the comfy seats. Do you remember back when movie seats weren't so comfortable? I almost fell asleep during the previews. Uh, but comfy seats, and we did what we Froms do. We would, instead of buying the expensive candy, we went to CVS beforehand and loaded up and stuffed it all in our pockets. And uh, had a good old time. But yeah, Mean Girls, I give it two thumbs up. If you like that, you're, you go in knowing you're not going to see a movie that's going to win an Academy Award. Like it is what it is. But if you go in expecting what it is, I think you will enjoy yourself. And then yesterday we had church and uh, it was a big day at our church because uh, we're in this strange time in which we are preparing to merge churches with another church in Downers Grove. I I worship, I mean, I uh, live and minister and worship in Downers Grove. And so 
we it's a long story, but we our church is in a warehouse. We've been there for for 14 years. Uh, we decided about a year ago that we weren't going to resign our lease because it's just too expensive for leasing a warehouse space. But we've built it out. It's been great for us for all these years. And that set us out on a journey that has led eventually to partnering with another church who's at, at a strange crossroads in their church history. And now we are about to merge churches with them. In fact, our last Sunday in our warehouse because of our lease uh, actually lands on Easter Sunday this year. And so we'll have a grand celebration on Easter and then uh, merge. I almost said begin. Mer- we've begun a long time ago, but working and, a- and actually doing it. And it's going to be a new church, a new name, new everything. I'll be the lead pastor and we'll be the primary um, staff, uh, but we're moving into their building. It's it's interesting. It's been a fascinating, fun, messy, weird, great, all that process. And it's going to only ramp up here as, as more things need to happen, more decisions need to be made, all these things need to happen. And so uh, that's kind of the backdrop to we're all looking to the future. We've got this coming in uh, kind of April 1. But then yesterday was our church's 14th birthday, our 14th anniversary. And those the conglomeration of those two things, like at our church every first weekend in February, we we celebrate and we get cake from Costco. It's always the tradition. And uh, and we celebrate the the birthday or the anniversary uh, of the start of our church in February of 2010. And so it was uh, strange for me to simultaneously celebrate this birthday, this anniversary, this kind of milestone, while at the same time knowing it's the last one for our church, but it's the last one because we're moving to something we're really excited about. There's this kind of a conglomeration of emotions and it's this looking forward and looking back very intensely at the same time. I wonder if you've ever had those moments in your life where you're, you know, I, I think about when my, when my oldest daughter went off to college, right? You're, you're kind of excited and it's all about the future going to college, but then also at the same time, looking back, what are we losing? What does, what kind of, um, time of our life are we closing this kind of looking forward and looking back excited about the future but a little bit of grieving what you're losing and i think that's really healthy in life the american culture is very forward oriented right there's there's been books and books and books written how there are other cultures around the world that are they're more they're oriented looking backwards, whereas the American culture is oriented looking forward. And I think there's value in both, but I would I would caution us this way. Like, don't forget to remember. Like when I look back over the 14 years of our church, I, I think of God's faithfulness and the kind of the amazing things we've seen him do. Uh, the fear at times, the people, like I think about the people who have come and gone uh, throughout those years. And I think there's something to our faith when we look back, think about the Old Testament over and over again. Why do they have these, you know, 
festivals, these celebrations. It's to remember. Think about Passover. It's to remember the miracle um, of Passover. Think about when they when they crossed the river and, and God had them go back and make the stones of remembrance. I think that's Joshua, right? We can sometimes run so fast forward that we forget to look back and celebrate the things of the past. And so that's where I wanted to start today. What are the things from your recent past uh, or long ago that you can dwell on, that you can remember where you go, God was so faithful there, where your faith was uh, grown and challenged and um, kind of, yeah, just grown. Where are, are those spots in your life that you can point to? Don't just run forward all the time. My wife and I just had an anniversary, uh, our 24-year wedding anniversary we had like two weeks ago. And we went out to dinner. And one of the things we did at dinner was to laugh and remember stories. Remember stories from early in marriage. Remember stories from recently. Remember stories from dating. And there's just something sweet about remembering. So, yes, plan your future. Think about your future. Set your sights. Go be goal-oriented. But don't forget to, to remember the spots of God's faithfulness where God showed up, where God sustained you, uh, the people in your life who have helped form you. We need to be forward-oriented and backward-oriented. I really got to think about that last night. Well, last week, uh, we had multiple discussions about the purpose of college. Particularly, we discussed that what I thought was just an unfair article uh, written about my alma mater, Wheaton College, in which it literally said the Harvard of Christian schools goes woke or something or other. Uh, you could go back and find that kind of my thoughts on that. They were not positive. I'll put it that way. I'll preface it that way. I thought it was completely unfair. And we used it as a conversation. Also say, I don't know that many of us even know what we mean when we say the word woke. And, uh, and But it also got to the point of what's the point of college? A Christian college. What are the things that we are trying to accomplish with our kids when we send them off to college? What's the point? Uh, Nancy Piercy, she's a professor, uh, and she also uh, is an author. She had a long tweet that I want to read this week, so I wonder if you agree with it. Uh, it's literally titled, How to Help Your Kids Stay Christian in College. She said this, a recent study by Fuller Seminary found that when teens graduate from high school, they often, quote, graduate from God as well. But, re but the researchers also discovered one factor that proved most effective in helping young people retain their Christian convictions. What would you expect it to be? More prayer? More Bible study? She continues, as important as those things are, surprisingly... The most significant factor was whether they had a safe place to wrestle with doubts and questions before leaving home. The study concluded uh, 
The more college students felt that they had the opportunity to express their doubt while they were in high school, the higher their levels of faith maturity and spiritual maturity. In other words, the only way teens can become truly, quote, prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, 1 Peter 3.15, is by wrestling personally with the questions. This runs, she's continuing to write here, this runs contrary to the typical approach in most Christian homes and churches. Many people operate as though the definition of faith were don't ask questions, just believe. They quote Jesus himself, who taught his followers to have the faith of a child. Uh, but she goes on to say, I once heard Francis Schaeffer respond by saying, don't you realize how many questions children ask? So his point, his point to have faith like a child is children ask questions. They're, uh, they're curious. She finally goes on to say, the fuller study shows that students actually grow more confident in their Christian commitment when the adults in their life, parents, pastors, teachers, guide them in exploring questions and grappling with the challenges posed by prevailing secular worldviews. By the time these teens leave home, they have learned how to practice Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test everything, hold on to what is good. What do you think about that? Do you think she's right or that this study is right? That when teenagers are in our homes, that the best thing we can do is to give them space to ask questions, to share doubts, to wrestle with the things of faith. Because here's my, my, my thoughts on this. I think she's absolutely right in that this is really hard to do. Because a couple different reasons. What if we can't answer their questions? What if my high school student comes to me, my high school child, and says, I don't know about that I believe this, or help me understand, you know, salvation by uh, Calvin and Armenian and this, and you're like, oh, I don't know. Hey, mom, dad, uh, let's talk about the end times. And you're like, I, I don't know. Or just, hey, this whole Christianity thing doesn't make sense. And we begin to go to the spot where we go, I must protect them from their doubts and their questions because I need them to be Christian. And we don't take this long view that says, okay, let our children wrestle, let them, because I get that that's scary. I also think if we're just brutally honest, the other reason that we are um, unsure about allowing or wanting our students to express or stu I call them students. I mean, our kids to express questions and doubts is because we might have the same questions and doubts, but we're not gutsy enough to say them. They might uncover some of the questions that we wrestle with. Like, I do think I grew up um, in a generation that's kind of you felt guilty if you expressed doubt. You felt sinful if you expressed um, questions. And this gets back to what we talked about the other day when we were talking about Wheaton College, when I said, I think the point of college, one of the points of college 
is to Christian college is to give our uh, college students a place to wrestle with the difficult questions of life under the uh, the uh, the umbrella and the teaching of brilliant Christian teachers who will help stretch them and who might not allow them to keep their faith in this nice tidy box. But that's scary. But I, I mean, when I think about my time at Wheaton, I value that liberal arts education so much because I was taking classes from a Christian perspective, right? Wheaton, they say everything is for Christ and his kingdom. But under that umbrella, I not only took stuff in my major, which was Bible and communications, but I also took philosophy classes. I also took science classes. I also took lit classes and I took, you know, language, all these different classes. And I was challenged to think about, okay, uh, how do I think about history? How do I think about art? And all of these other things. And I came out of Wheaton College, a more well-rounded Christian, able to think about more things in a Christian way for Christ and his kingdom. But I will acknowledge when our children doubt and they question, that's really hard to wrestle with. We need to trust the Holy Spirit, that it's his job to grow the seed that has been planted in them, that it's his job uh, to bring about faith, to draw our kids to himself, that we don't need to take that upon ourselves, but we model Christ, we model faith, we um, we engage the questions, we do that with them. And we are honest with our kids at times going, I don't know the answer to that. I struggle with that as well. And we go down that path. I think this is a good word from her. What is the point of Christian college? But how do we get our kids to stay Christian? How do we help them stay Christian in college? I think Allowing them to wrestle and doubt and question is a great start. Over the weekend, it might have been Friday, I believe, word came later in the day of the passing of Carl Weathers. Now, you might think to yourself, who is Carl Weathers? That name sounds familiar. He, Carl Weathers, was an actor, uh, Mandalorian and some other stuff. But I would say most known for, at least in my world, but I would say with most people, I think he's most known as Apollo Creed from the Rocky movies. Uh, Carl Weathers was Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed played a huge role in Rocky 1 th through 4. Tragically dies at the hands of the Russian in Rocky 4 in the ring. Uh, but Apollo Creed, I didn't realize this. I was watching some kind of retrospectives, and Apollo Creed was loosely based on Muhammad Ali. And so... If you watch Apollo Creed in his fights with Rocky, uh, has a lot of the mannerisms of Muhammad Ali, the way he danced around, the way he was brash and the way he was arrogant and uh, his boxing style kind of had a look of, of Muhammad Ali. But Apollo Creed, he was also uh, Carl Weathers was also Chubbs in Happy Gilmore. Uh, for those of you of my generation who uh, kind of in high school, college times when Happy Gilmore came out. Uh, but 
Carl Weathers passing away, uh, you know, kind of brings back those memories of Apollo Creed and other things. And as happens on Twitter, after somebody passes away, there's lots of people commenting, oh, Apollo or all this stuff. But stuff gets unearthed is what tends to happen when somebody passes away. And I found this somewhere on my timeline. There was it looked like an interview not very long ago that Carl Weathers did. And I thought it was really helpful, not just about acting, right? Most of us here listening aren't going to be or want to be actors, but I thought he gave some great life, just kind of um, advice that I want you to hear. So, so let's listen. This is uh, Carl Weathers. Let's listen to just kind of a minute of what he had to say. If your intent is to is to participate in something, whatever that thing is, and you are not some sort of savant, some sort of God-given, you know, virtuoso the day you start. If you commit to it fully and you continue and continue and continue and continue regardless of what's thrown in front of you, you will become good enough to do whatever it is you want to do. You may not get awards for it. You may not become a movie star, which some people confuse with being an actor, bless you, Uh, but you can do what you want to do. I think that's great life advice. If you commit fully, like if there's something you want to do, if there's something you want to do, and I love that he says, and you're not a savant, you're not one of these people. We all know those people who from like at go, they're shoot, you know, they're a golfer shooting 75 or they're a preacher and they're, you know, they blow you away from their first term or whatever else it might be. Like if you're not one of those savants with, with just crazy God-given talent, if there's something you desperately want to do, he says this, and I think this is such great advice, regardless of what it is your dream is. If you commit to it fully and you continue and you continue and you continue and you continue, regardless, he says, of what's thrown in front of you, you will become good enough to do whatever it is that you want to do. Like that's a, you may not become the best at it. But I love that kind of bar where he says you're going to become good enough to do what it is you dream you're going to do. I think a lot of us have dreams in our lives and we go, ah, but I could never do that. Do you do you struggle with that kind of self-doubt? I, I know that there were things. Now, obviously, there are certain things in life that require unique God-given talent, right? The Grammys were last night. I could have I could have desired as much as I wanted to be a uh, a famous singer, but that requires some God given talent that I do not possess. When I was younger, I wanted to be the shortstop for the New York Mets or the shooting guard for the New Jersey Nets. There are certain things about my height and my speed and other things that were never going to allow that to happen. But I think we take that perspective to a lot of things like, oh, I could never do that. And we see people, other people succeed and go for it. 
And the question is this, like, what do you dream about doing that you've convinced yourself you can't do? And then is the words of Carl Weathers here, Apollo Creed, correct? If you, if you just keep going and going and going, regardless of what's thrown in front of you, uh, then do you think that you could achieve those things that you dream about doing? Like, let's, what would be an example of this? Like, I think about our own relationships with our Heavenly Father. Do we go, I can never have a thriving relationship with Jesus. That's what other people who are more disciplined or whatever. Um, but also think about your your job. Some of you have dreams that you that you've had in your life. But somewhere along the line, we convince ourselves, I'm not good enough. I could never do this. I could never do this. Like, I always respect people who take up new challenges, who take up new hobbies, uh, who even make job changes that, that are risky. Because they say, you know what? I got one life to live, and this has always been my dream. And so I'm going to chase after it. I'm going to go for it. And when the hard times come and things get in my way, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep pushing. What is it that sits in the back of your mind, whether you're 25 or 55? What is it that sits in your back of your mind going, I wish I could do that? I wish I did that or could do that. And then let me ask you, what's stopping you? Are you still in a point of life where you could give that a shot? What is the fear? Identify the fear <clears throat> that's that's holding you back. Like he said, you may not become a movie star. You may not become, but you can get better. You could see what happens as you kind of work and open doors and see what comes. I think this is a good word uh, for a lot of things in our lives, including our faith with Jesus. Good advice. Good perspective from Carl Weathers. Uh, sadly lost this weekend. Go watch a Rocky movie in his honor. Apollo Creed, one of the best characters out there. And uh, good advice. Just keep going after your dreams. You know, one of the things we try to do on this show uh, is to ask the hard questions, to not try to have our faith tied up in a bow, but to say, you know, how do you endure? How do you survive? How do you thrive? And I was reading this article over at the Christian Post uh, written by Melissa Richeson called How Do We Endure Through Trials? And I thought we'd bring her on and, and talk about this hard topic. So, Melissa, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So uh, big picture, uh, why would you tackle this subject of how do we endure through trials? Um, I think um, in general, I think it's something that just is part of the human experience. Um, mm -hmm. We're all going to go through through trials. We're going to go through suffering. It's just something that we can't avoid in a fallen world. So, but more personally, um, I am currently in a season of recovering from um, ongoing long-term trauma. And so mm -hmm. as a direct result of that, um, I began to suffer like from extreme anxiety and panic attacks, chest mm -hmm. pains, head, head, headaches, you name it. It was just a really bad season. And um, 
be during this time I was and am seeing two different Christian counselors and mm. one of them um, said it pointed me to Hebrews ten thirty six that says you have need of endurance so mm. that when you have done the will of God you may receive what is promised and I found that very helpful um, because it's again an ongoing kind of thing and I do need to practice that endurance but then um, the other who works more specifically with, with me on healing um, and on a on a personal level um, pointed me to a book called The Deepest Place by Dr. Mm. Kurt Thompson. Mm. And um, I found that very helpful because in that book, Dr. Thompson walks through Romans 5, 1 through 5. And um, in that in that passage, um, uh, Paul says, we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, mm. character, and character hope. And so um, I was really encouraged by that um, passage and then also Dr. Thompson's take on it, meaning um, he, he points out the new between the use of the word perseverance there versus endurance. And some Bible translations use those two terms interchangeably in yeah. that text. But he, he said that he likes the word perseverance there because it, it takes on that aspect of personal agency. I meaning mm. um, there's some there's some work that needs to be done in, in the aspect of perseverance, not just enduring patiently, but actually putting in the work. So that's kind of a long answer to why I tackled, tackled this topic was because I just really, I was encouraged by that, that nuance between the words endurance and perseverance. Yeah. And I appreciate you opening up about your own life there. I guess I would ask you, what has made that really hard for you? Like what has made endurance and perseverance really difficult? And the flip side of it is if we don't commit to endurance and perseverance, what's the result? What ends up happening to our faith? Mm, that's a great question. And I, I think I still am personally in that process. But what I mm. found is in my own case, um, that means that um, I need to continue enduring, keep keep mm. going and trusting the Lord and in, in strengthening my faith, relying on his strength, his His mercy, his grace every day as I'm going through it. And there's that element of patience there. But then also for perseverance, I, on, that, on that side of perseverance, I need to put in the work. And I need, mm. it means that when and um, those triggers come, practically speaking, I need to, um, and, and those the, tr by triggers, I mean some kind of mental or emotional trigger that might send me back sure. into a, a season of, of panic or an, a, a survival response that I don't really want to be in. Then I can take those thoughts captive, like the, like the Bible says, and um, start to implement, practically speaking, the tools that my therapist has given me, go back to the word do those active things yeah. and persevering through that trial so that then I literally can rewire my brain. And like Paul says, that turns into character that, that stands the test of time yeah. um, as, as the trial endures. So that's mm -hmm. kind of how I've seen it play out for me personally. Um, and I think that if in general, we as believers don't practice both endurance and perseverance, then we have that, that threat of, um, of coming out of suffering without hope. Mm. Um, there's not, Good. I mean, the, there's that direct progression in Romans 5 where suffering, you know, produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character, hope. And um, if you if you miss that piece of perseverance in the middle, then I feel like maybe maybe there's a suggestion there that we would we would walk through suffering without hope. And that's not a place that any of us want to be in as believers. Yeah. Yeah, that's I hadn't thought of that link. That's that's really powerful. I was preaching through Hebrews 12 or just that verse about running the race. And it struck me. It says run the race with perseverance marked out for you. 
And I had this really kind of basic kind of, oh, wait, the, the writer of the Hebrews put that word in there because he's implying you're going to need to persevere. Like there's going to come times when you persevere. What's the role of community in perseverance and endurance? That sounds mm. like you have counselors, but I'm also thinking friends, church, because so many of us, when things get hard, we be, we withdraw from people and that only makes things worse. So so speak, whether in your own life or in your studies, uh, the role that other people play in helping us endure and persevere. I think that's a great connection because um, uh, actually in the book, The Deepest Place, um, Dr. Thompson talks about the role of other people and how mm. we as believers are the, literally the embodied Christ to each other. And so if we are trying to get through suffering or, or endure a trial, we need the body of Christ around us to sh- to remind us of God's love for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that that basis, that wide place to stand that Paul talks about in that passage, that wide place to stand gives us that foundation. And without it, um, it then again, we, we risk um, going through a trial and, and just floundering and, and going without hope. Um, but yeah, I've seen the support of friends and, and counselors, um, pastoral counsel be invaluable yeah. um, when going through suffering and through trials. And then as you walk through it, you're able to, of course, then be a strength if you if you allow the, the, the Lord and the Holy Spirit to work through you yeah. um, to others that might be mm-hmm. suffering in, in a similar way or, or just, a, you know, a, a, yeah, not even similar, but just suffering in general. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to end this way. Just give you a chance to speak. I always like to think of that one person who's listening right now and they they've just had the trauma or they've just had the bad thing. They've just had and they're they don't even know where to start. Like they're then they're not sure that they want to start. Could you maybe just speak to that one person right now who might be listening? And that's the spot they're at. They're at that very front end of this. Yeah, I I think that when I was at the beginning end, I really, I needed to remember who I was in Jesus. And that is loved and cared for, that I was seen. Um, And so I think that is the foundation that I would say if you're in the beginning stages of um, trauma or something, uh, some stage of suffering, just... um, uh, remember that you are seen and that you are not alone. And so if you feel that way, if you feel alone in suffering, um, I think that's the time when you, you when you can pat, battle that, that urge to withdraw and isolate and then instead practice that perseverance of reaching out. It may not feel comfortable. It may not feel natural when you are, are wanting to withdraw, but that's where that perseverance comes in is, is let people in, reach out and, um, and find that hope that that's so necessary that's such a good word most i really appreciate your time where can people find your work where can they follow you on social media give us all the places people can connect with you (laughs) well um this this piece is actually written in conjunction with my work for metashare so Mm -hmm. if people are interested they can follow my work on the metashare blog um i'm also on twitter at melissa richardson and um uh yeah that's probably the best places to find me Great again. Uh, the article's a great one. Uh, it's entitled How to Endure. How do we endure through the trials? How do we get through those tough times? Melissa Richardson, thanks so much for spending time with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, I want to end our show today sharing some of the sermon that I referenced last week. Uh, you might remember uh, I was talking about John Piper's famous sermon, I believe, at the Passion Conference years and years and years ago. And the 
I think it's in the early eighties um, that ha- it became the, the premise of his book. Don't waste your life. Uh, it became all of that stuff. And uh, it's all about seashells. In fact, it was called seashells. And this became the, the part, the beginning to don't waste your life because it was just such a powerful, powerful um, example. And he was speaking to college kids and just out of college, these students who want to make their life mean something. And so uh, I thought we would play a little bit of it. This is old school John Piper speaking outside uh, oh, this is much later than the early 80s. This is the, the late, late 90s, even the early 2000s. Okay. Uh, this is John Piper, uh, two minutes of his sermon, Seashells. I saw war. I saw moving. I saw. The article Start Now, Retire Early, February 1998. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy, and there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream. A nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells. As the last chapter, before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Look, Lord, my shell collection, and I've got a good swing, and look at my boat. God, look at my boat, God. All right, his point is powerful, but I wonder what you do with it. So let's let's just kind of synthesize, let's summarize his point there. That you don't want to get, and this is what makes it so powerful, right? He reads from this article of the people who uh, retired early, gosh, retired at 51, retired early, sailing their boat around, collecting seashells. And he really kind of latches on to that seashell collection thing. And Piper's point is don't get to the end of your life and stand before your heavenly father. And when he says, what did you do with the back half of your life? You say, look at my seashells. And he says it in such a powerful way. But I think you get the point. Uh, 
because here's the struggle. I think this is why it resonates with so many people. Uh, one, the life he describes there of an early retirement, great leisure, softball and a boat and a seashell collection and whatever else it might be. Uh, a lot of us would say, I'll take that. Like, that's not a bad retirement. I could do what I want. I can just enjoy leisure. I could put my feet up, all of these things. And Piper calls it a tragedy. He says that life described there is a tragedy, yet there are people spending billions of dollars to get you to buy that. So let's ask the question. Do you believe what he just described is, in fact, a tragedy? Is it, in fact, a tragedy? It is reminiscent of the parable that Jesus tells of the guy who has so much stuff that he needs to build a second barn. And he says, now I'm going to put my feet up and relax. We would say he has he's lived the dream. He's lived the American dream. To say, I made it. I've got full leisure. We talked last week about one of the idols of our day being comfort. But he, Piper says, I plead with you, don't buy with all my heart, don't buy that the American dream, uh, a, a nice house and a nice car and a nice bank account and a nice job and a nice family are the goal. That a nice retirement, he says, collecting seashells is the goal. And I want to talk, I think it resonated here with the 20 somethings he was speaking to because they're on the front end of life going, yeah, I want my life to make a difference. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to get to the end and go, what did I accomplish? But friends, if you're out there and you are of retirement age, be compelled the same way you should reach and strive for retirement. That's a great thing. Work for it, get to the point where you can retire. But then the question becomes, what am I going to do in my retirement? What's the point? What's the purpose? Piper's here. Uh, Piper himself is retired, but he continues to speak. He continues to write. He continues to do these things. I think we would all say as Christ followers, the point of retirement is to take some of that free time that we have. It is to take some of that leisure time that we have. It is to take the freedom. That's the word I'm looking for. It is to take the freedom that we have and immerse ourselves into things that are going to resonate for eternity. Don't, don't use your retirement on yourself, your retirement years. Don't go, okay, that's his point in this. His point is that you should be working a nine to five job for your whole life. No, use the freedom that you have to keep going. Engage in your church, engage in a ministry, engage with the things that you're passionate about that you were not able to do when you had that nine to five, eight to six job every day. Find the things that just they, they get your blood going. What are the things in your retirement that are going to wake you up and get you out of bed every day with excitement to go, God, use me to further your kingdom today? That's our goal in our 20s, in our 40s, in our 60s, in our retirement, and every day that we have. So Piper does a masterful job here, right? Saying, 
don't let your life be defined by the collection of seashells. But his bigger point is a good one. Your ultimate goal is not your own comfort and your own leisure. But use your retirement. Use those last years of your life, that freedom that you have. To immerse yourself in kingdom work. Things that now you're free to do. And pray that God uses those years to bless others and to bless you. Good words there, famously from John Piper. Well, we're glad that you joined us today. Hope you have a great Monday night. Join us again tomorrow from 4 until 6. My name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.